Hello and welcome back to Kvikminderpod, an Icelandic cinema podcast. I'm Rob Watts and on this podcast I discuss 21st century Icelandic film with my good friend Ellie Cawthorn. Last week we had a lot of fun with Grandma Lofi, but this week things get a little more serious as we journey southeast to meet Ingvar Sigurdsson's grief-stricken police officer in A White White Day from 2019. Director Hlina Palmason's second feature film, Kvita Kvita Dagur, to use its Icelandic title, is a powerful look at loss and what it can do to the human mind. Artfully directed and with some incredible performances, this is a powerful film. And one I reckon we should get stuck into immediately. Hey Ellie. Hello Rob. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Very good. Excellent. Uh, so we're back for the fifth episode this series. Something a little different to uh, Grandma Lo-Fi. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe we've done five episodes already. I know. It's flown by. Absolutely flown by. And we've gone from a grandma to a grandpa. <laughs> so not that different then, but the tone I, is different here. Just a little. <laughs> yeah. So this is A White White Day from 2019 in Icelandic. That is Kvita Kvita Dagu, directed by Hlina Palmason, starring none other than the legend that is Ingvar Egert Sigurdsson. We love to see him back. Ah, every time. He's just (laughs) the best. I love him. He is brilliant. There's a reason that he's like the greatest living Icelandic actor, because he's just so good. Yeah, and he's so likeable and empathetic. He is, no matter who he's playing as well, whether Mm. it's... No matter what he's doing. Hmm. What could you be referring to? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so this is from 2019, obviously, another recent film, but one that absolutely deserves a chat because it is, Mm. it's sort of nothing like anything we've looked at so far. It's much more arty, I would say. It's much more arty, but the... The narrative is very strong. It's plot driven, I think, mm, as well. Yeah. Um, I was a bit nervous at the start that it was going to be very arty. <laughs> but the the art serves the plot. Completely. Yeah, it's just a different way of approaching this sort of film. In a remote Icelandic town, grief-stricken police chief Ingimundur begins to suspect that his late wife may have had an affair with a local man. His investigation takes him on a rather dangerous path. Now that sounds... That's quite vague. It does sound a little bit like a kind of classic Scandi-noir police procedural type thing. I have to say, when you sent me the link or when you described it to me initially... The film I got was not the film I was expecting to get. Okay. I think especially because obviously we'd seen a bit of Erlander in Jar City. I was, like you say, expecting much more of a detective noir procedural. And that's not really what this... The fact he's a policeman is quite irrelevant. That's not really what this film is about at all, is it? No, it's not like Jar City. Not at all. Ingimunda's not like Erlander. No. But we have this narrative of a man trying to discover something and whether or not he should is up for debate yeah because what we see in the opening shot of this film is it's pretty stressful stressful it's quite heartbreaking you don't really Mm -hmm. know what's happening we're we're following a car down a very high altitude road (sighs) turning the corners in the mist and then it just goes off the edge of the cliff oh my god this absolutely tipped me into anxiety mode i mean you just saw my parking outside (laughs) here i am not a confident driver and this was so stressful i think as well the way it's shot so we're like following the car aren't we from Mm. behind almost from above it's almost like we are the storm or we're some kind of like ominous oh i like that presence we're the eye of the storm and it's a really kind of quiet tracking shot with this just really loud wind isn't it yeah lots of wind lots of sort of precipitation all on the camera lens as well like we're just we are just there following but what i really liked about why i found that opening shot really powerful because it's incredibly long as well Mm -hmm. like and you've got a sense of like this this is going somewhere this doesn't feel right but there's no kind of pomp or drama to it so when the car goes off the cliff 
it does so fairly quietly. There's no there's no shot of the woman in the car screaming or I mean throughout that tra- shot there's no there's no indication of who's in the car. There's no drama. There's you know like usually I'm thinking of like soap opera car crashes where you have somebody chatting in the car mm. or looking stressed or whatever. You don't have any of that. You just have like a silent car slipping off the yeah, road. Yeah, there's no real screeching of the brakes. The mm. car's not tumbling over a thousand times and bursting into flames or anything. It kind of just quietly yeah, disappears off the edge of a cliff. So the only thing we have before that is this quote from an unnamed source that reads, On such days when everything is white and there is no longer any difference between the earth and the sky, the dead can talk to us who are still living. Ooh, yeah, it sounds spooky. spooky. I mean, the opening shot scene, if you if you will, is quite spooky. Yeah, well, with all that mist, I mean, it basically is in picture form what you can imagine from that quote, where mm. bas- where it's all the snow is meeting the mist, and you can't really see a lot except for this car. Mm. And this is clearly the titular white white day. Yes, we do see a lot of white. <laughs> there film. are a lot of white white days actually Iceland. to be fair yes but yes i think you're right and and that idea of uh the ghosts of those who are dead still being present is pretty mm. much what this film is about and is constantly haunting ingimunda this loss of turns out it's his wife in the car and the film pretty much just plays with him trying to figure out whether he should mm. live with his memories of her as he knows her or investigate this thing that he finds out that may change his uh, his view of his relationship. But before we get into Ingimunda himself, there's another set of shots. Mm. And I think it's about 10 minutes in before we actually have a real extended scene of anyone talking to each other in your traditional film sense this this second set of shots was incredibly beautiful but this was when my fear about the level of art houseiness set in a fear that didn't come to fruition but i thought (laughs) okay this is quite a slow opening not when we've moved past the car crash i mean Mm -hmm. so we get these shots of would it be farm buildings would you describe them i'm not sure what they were derelict buildings i guess yeah on his farm on a farm that we get shots of them static shots well not static shots but it's it's a fixed shot a fixed shot but tracking through time so we get it in summer autumn winter summer autumn winter but each one of them's quite long takes its time doesn't it Mm -hmm. so it's it's it was filmed over two years that shot before the film was actually made oh my god so i imagine the director He's put, he's put his camera in position and he's just sort of chosen his days when to come and press record. Yeah. And what we see, he shot it over two years. So we see basically two years passing. Oh. And the, I mean, I really love the, the fact that you can see the Icelandic yeah. year in weather. It is spectacular. It's beautiful. Yeah. There, not a lot of sunshine. Uh, the summer and the spring do look very lush. Mm. But... Mostly it's quite drizzly and grey. It definitely conveys the sense, which I think it was intended to, of the passage of time. Mm -hmm. And it takes its time in doing that. But I think that is effective. Yeah, and I think because it's it's showing us what our main character has been occupying himself Mm. with since the death of his wife. And I think he wants to take his time as well. Mm. So we will see there's an electricity pylon right at the start. It's like fallen into the garden in inverted commas. That takes a while to be removed. Mm. Then he's digging up trees or just general crap. He finally starts cutting down the fence and he starts tidying it up. But he takes his time. Grief manifests in so many different ways and takes however long for any different person Mm. to overcome. And this is clearly his initial way of coping. Yeah. And so for two years he's doing this and we see pretty much the monotony of it. And we should say so that what... The, the shot focuses on the these buildings that he is... It becomes clear he's renovating mm. and turning into a house. And as you say, that's clearly the, the focus of his energies. And also, as you say, 
we get a sense of the time progressing by the house becoming more and more built. It's mm. like, um, you know, grand designs where the first five minutes is like, oh, three years ago they started yeah. this and finally they're finished. It totally is. And grand designs would have loved to have had the same camera in the same position <laughs> yeah. for two years, you know. Uh, but it's, it's very true. Uh, and the house is going to be for his daughter, Ellen, and his granddaughter, Salka who obviously both And are... they're a relevant father slash husband. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Stefan... Who really no. gets sidelined. Yeah, I don't think Kingy Munda really cares no. for him either. He's a bit of a damp lettuce or whatever it was she said the other damp week. Damp sandwich. Damp sandwich, yeah. Mm. With damp lettuce in the middle. <laughs> but yes, it's for those two. And the first bit of interaction we do see comes sandwiched between various shots of the house being done. And it's Salka come to visit grandpa mm. and she's just having a look around being pretty casual and then there's a horse and, which is which is very funny <laughs> i think actually. you need to say there's a horse inside for that to make any sense true we have seen icelandic horses in this fixed shot they're obviously mm. roaming the land and then when they're there suddenly there's just a horse in the in the kitchen, in the kitchen. <laughs> which i love it was brilliant yeah and they loved it too um, but it, it sort of established that relationship between the two of them it was yeah. just really lovely um they're obviously very close mm. i think that their relationship is really at the heart of it the grandfather granddaughter relationship and i loved that the portrayal of that because i think so often in um movies when you have kids they're brought on to be kind of trite and cute and mm. be like hello grandpa i'm I'm here for a toffee penny, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas Salka, she's like sassy. She's like climbing on things. She loves little spooky stories. And it felt quite, it didn't feel like saccharine or sickly at all, did it? That relationship. It didn't feel like, um, it just felt like they were like mates hanging out, but in a lovely way. Yeah, very much so. She's certainly not your typical child actress. She's kind of, we, we see so much of this film through Salka's eyes and, Basically, that's just her not reacting to anything. She's just so blasé and blithe about all sorts of like crazy stuff that's going on. She's attacking ice with a knife. Oh, she's she, smashing fish to death on the table. She's smashing fish. There's all sorts of stuff. She's swearing all the time and no one's picking her up on it. But she's just so casual the whole time. And I love that. And I think that's so necessary in this film where you've got mm. Ingimunda being so single-minded about what he's planning to do yeah and then you've got salka sort of in the same situations just not reacting yeah. talking about their relationship one of my favorite scenes although you you'll probably correct me here i couldn't see massively where it necessarily aided the plot apart from just illustrating their relationship was when she's ill and she says tell me a bedtime story and I... he tells her the most horrifying story that if somebody had told me when I was eight, I would have absolutely never slept again about a grave, grave robbing this man's liver and then him coming back to claim it and there's zombies and he does really, really spooky voices. But I thought that was a perfect encapsulation of their relationship where he's kind of, um, he is the grandfather telling the story, but he also is like really scaring her and being quite, harsh with her but in a in a loving way does that make sense yeah it's that thing of getting children to the point that they are which they are maybe a little bit scared but enough but not too much that they are forever scarred like <laughs> i mean she's obviously quite um hardy. hardy she's living in basically the middle of nowhere in a country that is pretty full-on and hard to live in and she's sort of, she's, she really does want that story. You can yeah. see it in her eyes. She asks for the scary story. And she gets it. And she does get it. <laughs> I, so, you know what? If someone made that into a film, I would absolutely be there. Because it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. It really is. Sure. Long, 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 long. 
Pappi minn var lítill strókur. Þá hérna and you're right that's like the most perfect portrayal of their relationship because he goes and picks her up because she's ill yeah. at his daughter's house and there's a great moment there where the two of them are he's like you could you couldn't be sick in the toilet she's like nah just on the pillow the bed sheets and the floor <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's yeah. just like cool well i'll wash that then it's quite i think it's a good way of in getting some humor in the film as well and what is like really quite a melancholic film mm. their relationship brings the humor but when she says granddad if i if i feel angry then i'm more likely to fart yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like good just say it how it is yep we never hear him fart and he's angry for the whole film <laughs> But yeah, are, it, it really does, this film, it really does centre around those two. Mm. And you get the feeling if Salka didn't exist, Ingi Muller would be in a very, very different place. Yeah. I wonder if he would have built that house just for his daughter. He didn't see... His daughter... It's interesting, isn't it, that his daughters are... Re his daughter's really quite... Um, quite irrelevant, actually, as a character. Yeah, she has her own family. She's mm. got a baby and she's got her ridiculously pointless husband boyfriend but she's she's sort of she's had to overcome her grief of losing her mm. mother as has her sister Ingeborg, who we see earlier on at the party as well um but she's sort of working and stefan's working and any excuse to get salka out the door i think she's pretty happy with because it's one less thing for her to have to worry about mm. and you know what i'm fine with that because it meant we got more Grandpa Salka time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Ingimunda has Salka. He gets to spend his time with her and she is the one thing sort of holding him in place. And we discover a bit more about him and his mindset when he goes to this, what seems to be enforced therapy. Yeah. With a, with a guy who, I'm not, I mean, I've never been to therapy, but he doesn't seem to. He's not selling it, is no. he really? He just seems very uh, lacking in understanding or connection, isn't he? He's mm -hmm. clearly not reading the room. He's sort of just asking the questions that you'd expect to be asked, but not. I feel like he's not paying that much attention to what Ingemund yeah. is actually clearly feeling. Yeah. Um, but we do discover that Ingemunda is lonely. He's quite stoic mm. throughout that scene, but he does let us know that he's lonely, as you might expect. But he's obviously clearly very frustrated with the yeah. way these therapy sessions are going, and he doesn't want to be there. And I sort of was like, well, is it, it doesn't seem to be helping. He doesn't think it's helping. Oh, but I, I, I think that the counsellor was portrayed as annoying. <laughs> That's definitely true. <laughs> but I do think that you got some glimpses of stuff that was interesting. So they said he said like, "What are you? What do you love at the moment?" I said, "I'm building this house." Mm. What do you not want? And he says, "To stop building the house." Yeah. And also, you got a sense that if he'd. He's got all these like huge emotions and he's just like, I mean, he's doing the to classic toxic masculinity move of push it all down, <laughs> pretend it doesn't exist, pretend you're fine and ignore it all. And we see what happens when that comes out later. So I think it's more, more than he's like kind of stoic. I guess it's more that I think it's, it's kind of saying that this obviously this form of counseling isn't working for him, but. It does seem like he needs an outlet. He needs something to, yeah, to talk about this these intense feelings and yeah, because he doesn't really have anyone else that he can talk to in that way. Not especially not another yeah. male figure, except for maybe Trousty, yeah, who I think is in some way related to him. It's whether, not clear, is it? No, I we know that his daughter is Ellen, mm -hmm. but we also have his character Ingeborg, who may be his daughter, maybe his sister-in-law. Mm. That's my seems, that's my vote. Who seems to be married to Trousty, making mm. him a version of brother-in-law, but also a friend. 
Yeah. Because we see them have this conversation later on about adultery, which we can come to. But you're right, he, he sort of needs someone. But do you not think that this metaphor of him building up the house is enough just generally in the physical sense, just when he's done that house, he might have recovered? I don't know. I think maybe that's what he's thinking, that, yeah, I'll build this house. And, but that's the point that he's saying he, do, he doesn't want to finish the house. He's kind of not ready. Mm. So I think it's a little bit more complicated than put the last window in, got over my wife being dead. Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> and that's I guess that's also why he then goes on this extra investigation. because like, I don't mm. want to finish the house. If I distract myself with these things... And lo and behold, there are things yeah. that prompt a new sort of distraction. Yeah. Then he I, can prolong it. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. There is a sense of like it getting almost to that point and then what's he going to do? Mm. Like when he's finished the house. Because he says he doesn't even want to live there with them. He says, yeah. Ellen and Salka, Owen oh, Stefan can live here. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't have, he doesn't want to be there. And I'm sure Ellen wouldn't want her dad there. But it would make sense for him to be surrounded by family. Yeah, but he doesn't, he seems very independent, isn't he? And it's that classic, he's that classic um, man with pride figure, mm. you know, that he kind of won't admit that he's struggling until like it all boils over into craziness. And he won't, I imagine he would be like, oh, well, I wouldn't want to impose. I'll, I'll just go off and be sad on my own. <laughs> Is to clear left. Pretty good. Yeah. Clear left. Inkinundur. At least an honor. Yeah, mother. An honor. Father. Ave. So he throws this party that we just mentioned. As a, I'm not really sure why it doesn't seem. I to thought be... it was a kind of like housewarming, but the house but the... didn't have walls yet. Yeah, it wasn't quite. <laughs> it wasn't even half finished. It wasn't very warm. No, house. not at all. Uh, but yeah, perhaps a housewarming. Uh, and while that's happening, Ingibjorg tells him that she's packed up a lot of his wife's stuff, and it's here in a box. Mm. Cut to the next day, and he starts going through the box. What do we find in the box, Ellie? What's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> um, we find some books. We do. So far, so good. But the books all have library tickets in them, all of which are taken out under a man's name, right? Yeah. Olga Karl Stefansson, I think. Scratch that. Olga Karl Olafsson, written on the three library card tickets yeah um one of which is hilariously a scandi noir type thriller <laughs> yeah. with a quote on the back that says something like the, the greatest book. book in the world yeah i was like is this meant to be kind of some i was took a while to be like what is the inference here i think it's just a joke <laughs> yeah. i'm pretty sure that's just a joke <laughs> <laughs> so my question is why does her sister question mark because mm. we think it's her sister have books that she had given to her by her lover taken out the library by her lover because those he would have huge library finds by um, now yes <laughs> that just didn't make much sense to me as a plot point i think if you're having an affair with somebody why would you give them library books well, I don't know that the question is why would you give them specifically <laughs> library books? The question is why would you give them books? And the, the, the answer is you liked it mm. and you passed it on and he wasn't really thinking about it being a library book. Or maybe he just pa he passed it on to her 
she was gonna give it him back, but then she died. So well, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have we comp- <laughs> have we solved your riddle? <laughs> okay. Okay. The riddle has been solved. <laughs> the one part of it that hasn't been solved is why somebody else had them and they weren't in like their family homes. Well, I mean, he spent his entire last two years in this house doing it up. He's clearly okay. living there as well. He's not living in the former mm. marriage home. Um, so someone has gone, Ingeborg has gone and sorted it out. Thank you. That was a really pointless <laughs> issue that I had with this film. And we can get on to my next one if you want, which is so he finds these um, books yeah. with the man's name on the library books. And then he also finds some videotapes, mm-hmm. which he watches, obviously. Why wouldn't you? But it was quite unclear as to what exactly or who exactly was on the screen. So they were like clearly sexy videos Mm. of some kind. But I couldn't see, like, I didn't... I'm presuming it was the other man, right? It wasn't him. No, I think it was him. I think it was Ingemunda because there's one... Because it's it's essentially... There's the video of the family in the car and Mm. the singing... And then the next tape is like a holiday. And they're obviously in Asia, I think, somewhere. And you, mm-hmm. at one point, I'm pretty sure you actually do see Ingemunder come through the yeah. shot. So that's more... Because I was confused by this. Because I was trying to establish whether he was watching that and thinking, oh my God, it's a sex tape of my wife and somebody else. Mm. Or whether he was watching it and thinking, oh God, I'm really sad because I'm watching movies of my dead wife. I think it was meant to be for us to see how close they could get and how intense their relationship could be. Mm. Because the film's exploring adultery and what it means to be in a relationship. Mm. Uh, and Trousty, as we were, we mentioned earlier, has a chat about it. And he talks about cheating on Ingeborg mm. and how, you know... It's chill. It's just chill, something that I do. She'll never know, but it's fine. I love her. Um, but we never see Ingemunda's wife until a certain point she's Mm. just always referred to we see bits of her body we see things photos that she's taken and all of this and i think the point of those videos was to show us this intimacy that we otherwise Uh, were only thinking came from ingimundur like he loved her and she was his world but we never saw any tangible evidence to that and so i i have i'm i'm assuming that's why that's there Okay, yeah. I think I misinterpreted that. Um, misinterpreted it just as being like a... A sex tape. And yeah. I was like, why would you have... Why would you keep that? Well, people do. People do. So you wouldn't be hugely mistaken to think that, I don't think. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure you do see Ingemunda, so... Okay. You know, but Olga is in one of the photos hmm. that he finds as well. Yeah. And he recognises him. So he knows he's yeah. a local guy. What did you think about the connection between Ingemunder and Olga? That they were, that they vaguely knew each other, that they were acquaintances or not really? I I think they were very, very minor acquaintances. They'd obviously Mm. crossed paths. Um, And we don't know where... As we know, Iceland is a small place. It is a small place. Um, And where he follows Olga to, which I think looks like it's supposed to be his work, is actually in a town called Hup which is where I visited. I don't remember seeing that particular building, but it's definitely in her... But we don't know where Ingemunda lives, so he may or may or not have lived just outside. But if you run into anyone, you know, the chances are Olga will be that guy one day in mm. a week, you know. So I think they knew each other, but not that well. And, you know, if his wife was an art teacher and he had a son in her class, mm. it's very possible they came into contact. So then he goes on a kind of sinister stalking mission, essentially, where he follows him around a football field and that kind of thing. Yeah, he follows him in the car. And he stalks, out, stalks his family from outside his house. Pretty creepy. So if we don't... If those sex tapes are not sex tapes, right? Yeah. Well, they're sex tapes with him. <laughs> um, if the sex tapes are not evidence of adultery, the only evidence he has is the library books. Yes, but I think Ingemunda wants to find something because he tells mm. Trousty he always had a feeling that, that his wife, wife was had something hidden. Mm. And so then this is all it takes is just three random library books and a photo 
mm. for him to uh to, to give himself some other kind of focus of obsession yeah, yeah. exactly I'm interested by something you said earlier, which is like, should he have ever gone down this route? Mm. But surely once you have that seed of an idea in your mind, you ha- you don't have a choice. You've got to know, right? Yes. I suspect that he did always want to know. And then he finally found the evidence and was just like, great. Well, let's go for it. Because he never had any real tangible stuff mm. to go on. And once he saw the, that name, he was like, fine, going for it. And you mentioned the football scenes. The least football-y football scenes I think I've <laughs> yeah. ever seen in my life. All you do is see Ingemunda running around a bit. Yeah. Like quite slowly and occasionally passing. They and really don't indulge in football. It's a mechanism. Yeah, it was it was strange. It did let us see him take out Olgear at one point. As yeah. you start to see him spiralling, of course. Because that's mm. what happens, isn't it? He starts pulling this thread mm-hmm. and then he starts just absolutely losing it. And he gets a whole ball of wool. Yep. <laughs> Terrible. A whole ball of Icelandic sheep's wool. <laughs> Enough for a... He, what's, he, what's he unwound? A lopapazer? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he has. Uh, <laughs> oh, Lord. I guess we haven't mentioned that he... Well, we mentioned he's a retired policeman, but we have seen some scenes of him... Visiting his former colleagues mm. at the station. And that kind of was where things really start to go from a bit concerning to off the rails. That's right. Because um, if we see them only like twice, don't mm. we? One of whom is Sigurdur Sigurjonsson for the third time. Yeah. We love him. And he's pretty passive in this. The first time we see them, it's kind of a comic scene. Mm. Salka's got the fish blood on her jumper and... Crown is like, yeah, you use candle wax and red wine to get blood out of a white garment. I smell fake news there. Yeah, I think he was totally wrong. Mm. And Bussy is just sort of watching and nothing, mm. not doing anything in particular. But the next time we see them is this crazy scene mm. when he basically takes Salka to the police station and... Things uh, really escalate. They really do. He gets asked to hand over his keys, doesn't he, by Crown? Mm. And he says no. Because actually, we should say, before this, he has he's had a, another counselling session, which mm. actually really appeals to the post-2020 audience oh, here. Really to does. say it was made in 2019. So the premise is that the counsellor has said, oh, I, I can't be there at the moment, so I'm coming in via video call. Anyone who's been, you know, on all these Zoom meetings last year, I can't believe this was made before COVID. No, it's mad, isn't it? Um, basically, there's the Zoom link is... I'm I'm naming and shaming Zoom here when they've done nothing wrong. It could be any type of video call yeah. platform. But the video call is breaking up and the guy is just completely misreading Ingemunder. Mm-hmm. So Ingemunder basically flips out. He really does. Has a breakdown. Mm-hmm. Starts trashing the room, breaking the computer. He's quite crap at doing it, to be fair. He starts just typing quite heavily on the keyboard at first. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to work, is it? No. But then we cut to outside. There's a lot of window action in this film. And normally we're inside the house looking out with Ingemunder. But in this situation, we're looking through into the window at Ingemunder, just giving that computer what for here. Yeah. yeah. And that's sort of the start of the downward spiral yeah. that leads him then to go to the police station. Just, yeah, let the pepper spray loose. I'm going to have a ride on the other side. Oh. Um, what? Should I give you a drink? He said what happened. What happened? He said that he was on the other side. On him, Salka. 
Þú veist alveg hvað við meinum. Við vorum að koma, það er allt í rúst á það. Hver er rústin? Sjöðs, horfðu bíl, ég er að koma. So they say to him, hand over your keys. He basically refuses. They say that they know that he's gone to the counselors and smashed up the computer. And then that's it. He sees red. He sees red. I think also because Frown is much younger guy and you know he he wouldn't know what ingemund is going through and he's not Mm. obviously not saying any of that Mm. but like you can imagine being in that situation some young upstart is saying give Mm. us your keys stop being such a crazy old man yeah you know get your shit together and Mm. stop being a police officer for now and Mm. if that's a thing you've known all your life yeah you're not gonna take that lying down and he really doesn't I see this whole thing, though, as just an expression of what we were talking about earlier, that he's spent so long just cramming all this down, and then it just, when it erupts, it's like absolute volcano, toxic masculinity volcano mm-hmm. of um, absolute rage, like blind rage. So he pepper sprays his old colleagues and locks them in the cells. Yep. At which point I thought, really, this has gone from, like, you can get away with it to too far maybe i mean they don't can you imagine any situation in which you pepper sprayed a police officer locked them in a cell and got away with it well no but i'm not the police chief in a remote (laughs) icelandic town am i i think they they're probably quite ineffective police officers because they never have anything Mm -hmm. to do so it wouldn't be hard to overpower them and, and put them in a cell and they don't even really react that much when they finally get out no this absolutely cracked me up if somebody had pepper sprayed me and locked me in a cell overnight i would be fuming yeah um but that comes a little bit later on but talking of that that scene in particular there are two moments so he's in it begins with salka in the room Mm. now she all she knows is she's with the best old man around her grandpa second actually best behind grandma because she Mm. was amazing and she says that with just a complete honesty Mm. and i don't know she's not thinking oh no we've lost grandma she's like she was the best you're second best Mm. and i've got you and i'm happy about that but she sat there in this room in the police station while grandpa's sort of turning and (laughs) she's not seen that side of him before and you get the cameras just pushing in He's slowly. Bad grandpa now. Bad grandpa. Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> <laughs> but that push in, there's loads of moments in this film where the camera just pushes in on certain characters. And in this moment, it's not even the central character to the scene. And you just see her reacting or thinking about what's going on. And it just looks like she's like, this isn't, this isn't the grandpa I know. Mm. And gets quite scared for real. Yeah. Before he chucks her in the in the car and does the worst stuff. Yeah, but then I think the worst the worst thing, the most upsetting thing, the the kind of fracas at the police station is is one thing, but that's just whatever. The most upsetting thing is when he goes to the car afterwards and s- shouts at her essentially and tells her, "You're just a stupid, spoiled child. What do you know?" Because you know that he doesn't believe it. You know that he's just lashing out completely. Um, and trying to, you know, it's the classic cliche hurt people hurt people you know lash out at the ones that you love the most mm-hmm. and her reaction is just oh, heart heartbreaking oh my god she the girl who plays salka who's actually the director's daughter mm. yeah um ida mekin she's fantastic she is incredible and that scene mm. is probably her standout scene she just crumbles in front of grandpa. And he says, go go in to your house. Gives her a lift back and says, go into your house. And she says, I sometimes get scared if I'm alone. And he just says, like, okay, get over it and get in there. And it's yeah. so sad. Oh, it's horrible. And you, yeah, just the focus on her face as she just sort of falls apart is just it's nasty. Because we've seen such a great relationship between the two of them, having fun, laughing, just getting on with all sorts of stuff. It's it's all the more powerful for for knowing that it's not what he really feels. Yeah. It's yeah. Ugh. Those two scenes come back to back as well. Mm. I think that's the standout kind of ten minutes of the film. Yeah, for sure. 
Guðana bænu stelpa, hvað er anskotra máta þýða? Hún stoppar ekki eina sekundu, það vellur bara út og er alveg stanslaust. Það er ég að segja þetta hljóðkota þau. Hvað er þetta eiginlega með bött í dag? Þeir eru dekruð upp úr öllu valdi, þú eru endalega svo djöfursins aðtekli. Ég nenni ekki að rökraða meira við þig. Ég nenni ekki að tala við krakka meira. Hunskast inn í hús og hætta að hægar eins og smábatn. So he gets rid of Salka, basically, so he can go on this final mission in which he grabs Olgaia. Rampage, you could say. <laughs> He's basically wigged out like Michael Douglas in Falling Down or, or, or pick, another, pick any film where a man has a mental break. But he goes, picks up Olgaia in his police uniform and his police car sinister. in the middle of the night. Sinister. Very sinister and a massive abuse of power. Mm. Well, I thought as well, so, so we see him basically guiding them off into the middle of nowhere, appearing at a freshly dug grave and telling them to get in it. And I thought that this scene was really effective because I genuinely thought, okay, at this point he could flip, he could kill him. Mm -hmm. It was very believable. You felt really that it was all on a knife edge and yep. it could have gone either way. And you were just kind of willing it to not, go down the murder route. Not because you didn't want Olga to be murdered, but because we didn't want our hero. <laughs> we didn't want our granddad to go down to prison. No. He, yeah, he absolutely. We know that he's feeling the worst of the grief that he could possibly feel. And he wants answers. But we really don't want him to go yeah. that bit too far that he'll never be able to come back from. Because... Mm. You know, in the cold light of day, or the cold white of day, the next day, <laughs> he is, you know, ultimately he's still have lost his wife. He'll still have assumed that his wife cheated on him with Olgair, but he'll also have murdered a man <laughs> by burying him alive. Oh, God. I mean, because he says, doesn't he, don't lie to me or I'll shoot you in the stomach and bury you alive. Mm -hmm. And the way, the delivery there, you're like, he would do that. Oh, completely. This is an airlander at the side of a grave where he's like, don't, for the love of God, shoot yourself. Let's talk mm. about it. This is like the complete other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Like he will. Man on the edge. Really right on the edge. That whole scene I thought was so well played where he's essentially interrogating Olga about his relationship with his wife. Whether mm. he had a relationship with his wife, turns out, yes, he did. Which he'd been denying Right up until he knows he's going to die well, in Well, obviously, you know. <laughs> he's, he's, you know, trying his luck, isn't he? But the whole scene, I was just like, hands over eyes, like, mm -hmm. ah! Can't deal with the tension of that. It's the way it's shot, especially, like, it's... Really close. It's just so dark. We're mm -hmm. right up close and we only see either one of the characters at a time. And Olga is clearly very, very desperate to not mm. get killed right there and so he instantly he goes from denying everything to answering every question instantly with mm. the truth whether it's a nice thing to tell Ingimundur or not but do you think Ingimundur is happy to have learned this information I don't think happy is the right word but I think it's that it's that closure thing isn't it that he just you need to know so that you can work out if you're going to have to process something, for example, what you're even processing. Mm. And also, don't you think if, it's like you say, you pull a thread and you start digging a hole, you have to a get grave. to the bottom. <laughs> you start digging a grave, you have to get to the bottom of the grave. And also, I thought there was a really like sad tinge to that, to the conversation in that scene where he is saying oh how many times did you sleep with my wife whatever but then he says describe her to me like tell me about her mm. and it's almost like he just wants to talk about his wife that's oh. dead it's almost like he wants to hear somebody else's he, he he's almost like asking for confirmation of his memories he's like saying she was beautiful, wasn't she? Did you think she was beautiful? Mm, warm. That's another word they both use about her. Yeah, which I thought was interesting because it's almost like he wants to remember her and this person also has like a really intense memory of her. The only other share. person, yeah, who can vouch for what she was like in yeah. that context. Although it does very much come across as 
their relationship was not the same as yeah. Ingimunda and his wives. It was very much physical and nothing yeah. more. With a few library books thrown in. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a little bit more uh, artsy. Yeah, um, but that's what I found the saddest element of it. Not that he wanted to know, like, oh, why did you sleep with her or whatever, but the kind of desperation to almost get a sense of her back. Mm. Maybe that was me reading that. No, I, I think that's, that's a very valid point. I wonder whether he just, yeah, he just wanted an answer either way. And as long as he got it, and if the answer was they were sleeping together, that he got what he wanted from that, then, you know, it was all worth it. Mm. Uh, but I do think that if Trousty hadn't said, yes, I cheat on Ingeborg, it's just the, the done thing, then it might have gone another way by the end. As in you think that that's what made him think, yeah, she probably was cheating. I think that's that was, yeah, partly that, but also partly it is not unprecedented oh. that people cheat on each other. Oh, right, it doesn't mean And it mean doesn't that... mean that they don't love you. Yeah. Because I think I think he needed to hear that before he goes on this rampage. Otherwise, it could, it very mm. much would have just ended with him after screaming with uh, Olger in the grave rather than running back mm. all the way to town, which I'm glad happened. Yeah. Although I wasn't glad to see the reappearance of Olga. I know, just when you think the film's done. Yeah, you so think, you think, where can we go from here? He follows him in the car mm. with Salka in it. Yeah, so then we see Salka and Ingemunder driving. He There's clearly tension still between them. But she gets in the back seat, doesn't she? It's a seat. specific point to say, I'm not happy with you, Grandad. Mm. And, but they're clearly driving on this same road that his wife died on. Mm. And again, we get the same behind tracking shot, don't we? That we had in the opener, yeah. which just is basically saying, to me anyway, following them again, look, they're going to go off the road. I'm really giving a sense of, remember what happened last time, something terrible is going to happen, mm. which this time takes the form of Olga following them. Yeah. What did you think about there? So when he confronts Ingemunda, what did you think about that confrontation? I was, you know what, I was a little bit surprised that it happened, mm. but then actually not that surprised because he's just been through hell for no legit reason. Yeah, but... Apart from sleeping with his wife. It could have been approached differently. <laughs> but I, if somebody had like made me get in a grave in the middle of the night and pointed a shotgun at me and interrogated me and been like clearly quite close to the edge, mm. would you really go and like seek them back out the next day? Well, he's there for revenge, isn't he? He's carrying a screwdriver. Mm. Um, oh, I thought it was a knife. I, th I think it's just a screwdriver. Less sinister than a knife, then. I guess so. More but... opportunistic, whereas a knife, if you take a knife somewhere, you know what you're doing. Yeah, why would? Why has he got a knife? Because he wants to mm. actually kill. A screwdriver, on the other hand, maybe his intention isn't to kill, but to get some sort of catharsis. Threaten. Yeah, because he does draw blood, mm. and quite a lot of it. Mm. And that scene when Salka's just screaming and screaming. Yeah. Bloody hell. That was really upsetting, actually. Very. So he kind of, like, holds it to his throat, does he? Or like... Yeah, he just gets in there with it, like, threateningly. Mm. I thought that was interesting that he played that scene, um, as in from... Because Olga initially is like, hey, man, I didn't call the police. I'm sorry, that was my wife. Like, I don't want to cause any trouble. And then suddenly it's just like, you know what? Fuck you, man. Mm. I'm going to stab you with this screwdriver. It was quite like a strange flip well that's how you get close to someone isn't it by being nice mm. 
and then you once you're in there you get the screwdriver in the jugular or just in their arm <laughs> yeah but thankfully he doesn't kill him and uh Ingemunda drives off a little bit before they reach a tunnel mm-hmm. through which he carries salka I mean, I thought that was a beautifully shot scene. Just a beautiful scene all round. That's the scene in which we see him and Salka coming back together. She clearly forgives him. Mm. So firstly, we see him hold his hand out to her and she rejects him when they're driving because he shouted at her. And then after the accident, he holds his hand out to her covered in blood Mm. and she takes it. And yeah, as you say, they go through this tunnel. And that was like a real catharsis moment, wasn't it? So... They have a conversation about screaming and <laughs> crying. <laughs> and so they're both screaming in this tunnel, which is, you know, what he needed to do in therapy all along. Yep. Just go in a room and scream and uh-huh. cry. And actually, uh, I thought that that was something that his counsellor said in the first session. He says, like, have you cried at all in this time? Mm. And he just kind of was like, what are you even on about? And finally, at the end, we kind of get to see him grieve properly and i think all of everything that he just needed to let out he's kind of able to do so finally yeah and he's got his he's got his rock his his best mate salka mm. with him which i think allows him to do that if she wasn't there mm. that that whole thing could have gone dramatically differently mm. he's going through a tunnel and that must be symbolic yeah. of you know the, the process tunnel of grief. of grief yeah exactly the tun- and the opposite of the tunnel of love the tunnel oh, the, of grief the tunnel of grief <laughs> the less fun fairground attraction <laughs> <laughs> oh dear but yes they 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 go through it and he gets out the other side and he's done it they're fine he's made it and we get this final scene of mm. ingimundo sat in his living room or in the living room of the house he's been doing up and we get another very very slow pushing on his face as he imagines seeing his wife in front of him doing a sort of strip tease. A sexy dance to Leonard Cohen. To a, to a very strange Leonard Cohen song, <laughs> uh, which incidentally was produced by Phil Spector in Leonard Cohen's like weirdest phase of his career that didn't sound anything like mm. Leonard Cohen. Uh, I, this was a slightly strange move, I thought, right at the end. Maybe it's... Maybe it's me being prissy. I think it's me being prissy because I thought, well, why? So as you say, the wife who we haven't actually really seen. Not at all, really. Um, no. So initially I was like, who is this? And then I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, he's doing this sexy, like towel-based striptease and then basically gets fully naked. And I thought, do we really need some random female nudity right at the end? But I guess it was all about showing the intimacy of their relationship, right? Yeah, I think the, throughout the process of the film, he's not been able to think of her mm. in the way he just wants to remember her. And so by with the no end... With no clothes with on. <laughs> I mean, yeah.
he can finally picture imagine her the way he remembers her or the way he wants to remember her clearly and he's obviously he finally does shed a tear in that scene yeah because he he, cries. he can finally imagine her see her and i don't know if that will be the last time he pictures her like that but he cer- it certainly felt like he's achieved what he needed to achieve he's got through the grief stage of missing her and now he can enjoy remembering her yes i thought also it was really nicely played because he had there was a hint of like a smile wasn't Mm -hmm. there at the end which to me to me said you know i forgive you and i'm remember like you say gonna remember the good times and not it didn't feel hostile did it no it didn't feel like he was gonna dwell on anything negative no um, my last note of my notes is just he just misses his wife so much <laughs> and I think that's what that last shot of his face yeah. is basically saying like he's been missing his wife for two and a half years and he still does and that's not going to change but he's finally got to a point where he can live with missing her yeah and I think it's just a really beautiful end to the film yeah it's not the kind of film you would go and see at the at the showcase at the blockbuster cinemas is it popcorn on a friday night absolutely not certainly more of a a saturday night bbc4 i can see (laughs) i can see images and sequences from this staying with me though oh completely any in particular because this is this is an art housey film and there are Mm. many many devices and shots used well if you're going to talk about devices then one which i thought was really good was there's a scene where he's driving on the road where his wife died and there's a rock on the road. Yeah, does that hit the car or does he drive over it? I couldn't quite make that I think he drives out. over it, mm. I think. And Salka's like, what was that? Yeah, so then he throws it off the edge, which is, by my understanding, where his wife's car went off the edge. I'm not sure it was that exact point because she drove through a barrier. Uh, okay, but basically, same difference. Mm. And what we see is the rock tumbling down on this, like, impossibly long... For ages. Um, ...fall down a mountainside, basically. Mm-hmm. And then it lands in a in the lake or river, I don't know, lake, I guess. Might be the sea. Might be the sea. And we follow its progress, which... The whole point of that shot, right, is to show you she came off the road and this is what happened to her car and her body. And I thought it was a really classy way of showing that. So rather than showing as... We never saw any part of her kind of dramatic no, fall true. off the cliff. Yeah. But we saw it there without... I feel like that evoked everything you needed it to. Because I thought when I saw it hitting all that stuff, I was like, oh my God, imagine a car doing that. Yeah, that would be pretty grim. That's interesting because I Did didn't you not read not, it like I didn't that read it like that at all. I thought that was like <laughs> categorically what that was. I mean, it makes it totally makes sense. Yeah, I was reading it far more metaphorically. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> Which is so on my first view, I didn't really know what was going on in this film. It was only on second view that I was like, oh, it is a sort of passage through grief. Yeah, and like a kind of procedural story kind of uh whereas the first time i watched it i was just like this is a strange series of events and shots and that scene in particular especially on second watch i was thinking how it was sort of representative of his emotional state so he goes off the edge when she dies he starts to different meanings so many different meanings and then it's rolling down the cliff and it starts to gather up pace which is pretty much what happens as soon as he finds the books his sort of grief overcomes mm. him and it gets stronger and stronger and stronger until finally there's this moment of catharsis where it plops in the water and stops and it's very still. Well, I feel dumb now. 
Let's just say it meant both those well, it, things. Well, it, of course it can. Yeah. It might not mean either of those things. <laughs> <laughs> and then we both looked up. <laughs> but yeah, I think that was a very significant scene. And it was, I mean, the whole film is beautifully shot. The cinematography by Maria von Hauswolf, which is a great name. Hauswolf? Uh, yeah, it's probably Hauswolf. It. It's just stunning. Mm. And, you know, we talk about Iceland looking amazing all the time, but it really does depend on the way you shoot it. <laughs> and this film just yeah is stunning to look at and that's one of those scenes in particular where you're not watching a lot you're just watching a rock fall down a cliff but it's just it just yeah amazing to watch and talking of how beautiful it looks there's the very kind of arty moment which you definitely wouldn't see in a sort of hollywood version mm -hmm. of events but just after ingi munder Ingi Munder. <laughs> Ingi Munder. <laughs> but just after Ingi Munder breaks at Salka and before he goes and does his Olgair stuff, we get this sort of montage of portrait shots of everyone we've seen. And I'm not 100% sure what it's I, trying I to say. I didn't understand that. But you do see Salka, Salka's mm. portrait. She's standing in the middle of the road with blood on her hands. And... At that moment, I was like, well, uh, what is uh, that? Because where where, where would that have come in the film? It hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. Why would she have blood on her hands? And it sort of gives that kind of tone of just hang on and something bad might happen. And Salka's not the only one we see. We see mm -hmm. both her mum and dad. We see the police officers and everyone. I th and to me, especially when we see Ingimunda's daughters, it's sort of just look in their eyes and and imagine how they're feeling about losing their family member yeah because so much of this film to me anyway is looking at people's faces and trying to understand what they're thinking and feeling inside which is the whole the whole thing is about Ingimunda's internal mm. feelings and in those moments it's sort of just like i wonder what that person's thinking it certainly looks yeah. like they're pondering the grief and it's the situation they're in post the death of Ingimunda's wife. Yeah. But I'm not sure what the policemen <laughs> have to do with any of it. Yeah. Or how I, close they were. That was actually like the only point where I thought, I don't quite get to that. Yeah, I wasn't 100% sure why it was there, but it, I still it, enjoyed provoked, it. provoked a reaction in me. Provoked emotion, didn't mm, it? It really maybe did. Maybe that's enough. I think maybe. I mean, the whole thing is setting a, a very specific mood mm. and that certainly added to it for me. Mm. But yeah, this whole film is just stunning, absolutely stunning. Mm. And it's not a happy film and it's not a comedy, though there are the funny moments. But for something with such a sad and some may say depressing subject matter, it's a very watchable and engaging mm. film. And obviously a lot of that is down to Ingvar yeah, because he's such a powerful lead and can convey so much in such a... In so little. In so little, yeah. Good on him. So Ingvar Eggert Sigurdsson, he's a legend for a reason. Mm. We've only seen him once from back in the noughties. We're here another decade later and he's still just as good, if not better. He won an award at Cannes for his performance in this film. Fair which, play. Yeah, completely warranted. And I reckon we'll be seeing more from Helena Palmason as well because mm. he's a force to be reckoned with. That He's an incredibly young director. I think he was 35 when he made this. Oh, God. I know. We've got some catching up to do yeah. we, really but we're not gonna we're not gonna be going any happier into our final film i have oh, to say really? i'm afraid yeah what i mean where are we going now child death um familial murder you know what i don't think there's any death or murder okay so that's a start i guess we're actually going to be watching a film called and breathe normally which mm -hmm. is also semi-recent about a subject which we touched on in a couple of the films, specifically Echo, mm -hmm. where we had that scene of the immigrants at the church. Okay. So this film, And Breathe Normally, is about immigration and unemployment. It's really quite a political film. It's quite powerful okay. and explores, yeah, really kind of prominent issues in Iceland at the moment. Well, I look forward to it for the political edition of this uh, yeah podcast. it's not the funnest way to end the series but it is well spoilers pretty good <laughs> well i'll see you back here for the final episode then
Yes, you will. So there we have it. I think A White White Day might just be Ingvar Sigurdsson's finest performance to date. But he's always good and will hopefully explore his career more in the future. The man can do no wrong. Next week, for And Breathe Normally, we travel from the southeast to the southwest for the most political film we've covered on Kvikminderpod. This is another film with some beautiful shots of Iceland, but not the kind of landscapes typically expected or even seen on this podcast to date. To watch this film, just pop on Netflix and search for it. We're finally covering a film that's available for free on the world's largest streaming service. Until then, please do join us on social media, where we are at Kvikminderpod, that's K-V-I-K-M-Y-N-D-A-P-O-D, and if you could leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, that would be amazing. See you soon. Tak bless. Thanks and goodbye.